Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we are talking about one year of war in Ukraine, Ukrainians' new reality, the solidarity and military support from the West, and Putin's announcement that Russia will halt its participation in the New START nuclear arms treaty. On February 24, 2022, before dawn, Russia launched dozens of missile attacks on Ukrainian cities, including the capital Kiev. Russian forces had taken over a sizable portion of Ukraine in a few of weeks. They had reached the outskirts of Kiev and they were in complete control of Sami and the majority of the country's northeast. Russian soldiers were shelling Kharkiv and had encircled the port city of Mariupol in the east and south, all the way to Kherson. The situation had drastically shifted by October. Russia withdrew from the north after failing to capture Kyiv, and Ukraine achieved its first significant victory by driving Russia back from Kharkiv and launching a counterattack near Kherson. Today, the situation at the war front remains similar. My day starts not with coffee. My day starts with checking all the family chats and uh, the news about Um, what has happened overnight and uh, ha- ha- have there been any uh, explosions uh, around my parents' place. So most, most often it's yes. Yaroslava Bukta is a social anthropology student at the University of Oxford. Yara had to leave Ukraine after the full-scale attack of Russia and she managed to get a scholarship in Oxford as an immediate reaction of the academic institution to support Ukrainians. This is like we are living in two different realities. On the one hand, I'm studying here in like best university in the world. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I know what is happening in my home country and I'm all the time in touch with my parents. And uh, this is not always easy. I remember 23rd of February, we were planning some working tasks in uh, the team I used to work uh, with. Um, some studies, deadlines and so on. And it seemed, seemed like the, the greatest problems ever. And then 24th of February, you wake up from calls of your relatives. It's like 5 a.m. And uh, you switch on TV. You see the address of President Zelensky, who says that Russian troops uh, started invading um, the territory of Ukraine. And it felt like a bit, a bit like a bad joke, a bad dream. So back then it was like, oh, yeah, it's going to last for a couple of days, maybe a week. And then you suddenly started realizing that basically it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And uh, it's been on for the whole year. Within this year, uh, personally, my family has lost a couple of uh, acquaintances, a couple of friends that we had. For Yara, moving abroad was a necessity. She found herself initially in Brussels, facing even more challenges and feeling unprotected. But there are also those who stayed behind, like 26-year-old Kirilo Sturbaden, But Kirillov's story is different. He first faced the Russian invasion in 2014 in Luhansk, one of the first territories of Ukraine to be occupied by Russia. I know that for majority of Ukrainians and maybe for international audience, of course, the big war started the full-scale invasion in 2022. But for me personally, a lot of the things started in 2014. Uh, For example, I had to move out of Luhansk uh, to move to Kyiv and I finished school here. 
part of my family moved with me, uh, and then they went uh, back to stay in Luhansk in 2015 or 16, I guess. And now they're staying there. Uh, in the beginning of full-scale invasion, it was very confusing what option would be uh, to do best, because I thought about uh, moving to some other city, for example, in the west of Ukraine, but uh, I just I was trying to calculate risks, and in that environment it was very unstable and unknown, so... Uh, me and together with my family we decided that probably staying at kiev which like was a dangerous place but maybe that would be a little bit safer than being uh, on the road or moving somewhere if you don't have some very solid plan the daily lives of the ukrainians are different now they have new routines in place that seem to be the new normality like organizing donations for the military or hours without electricity that led them to find better solutions you know everything that i do now seems normal for me now but i started to uh donate money to uh some initiative supporting supporting ukrainian armed forces or uh individual soldiers or humanitarian relief uh, with my family because they live in the occupied territories uh, it became a little bit more difficult to communicate because uh, we can't use mobile phone to call uh, because in the occupied territories uh, the ukrainian mobile providers don't work The biggest periods when we were without electricity were maybe 35 hours, so a day and a half. And I, I started to adapt my routine to this somehow. Again, charging phones, having some uh, stocks of food, of water, uh, not using elevator during this time. Actually, I got stuck in the elevator Uh, during one of those times and it was not only during the attacks but later because of the problems to the infrastructure there were regular blackouts so it became very usual and only a week or week and a half ago for some reason uh, we have electricity Traveling to the occupied territories is complicated and full of obstacles and risks, especially for men wanting to visit their families in Luhansk and Donetsk. And that is because men in those areas are forced to join Russia's military and fight against Ukrainian troops. Uh, for me, I wouldn't even try, uh, because maybe if I would be able to get there, I'm not sure whether I would be able to get out without getting into, uh, like being forced to serve in the military. Uh, I've heard some stories of friends who went to visit before the full-scale invasion, and now they're just staying there and hiding. And it's very typical for men in the occupied territories because uh, they're afraid for a good reason that if they go outside of their place, uh, they will be forced in the military. So families are split and people like Kirillo haven't seen their relatives for years. Last time he could spend time with his grandparents and family members was in 2020. Which was of course nice because I could spend some time with my family. But also it is a very stressful experience because 
I always had to be cautious uh, and always had to be alert when I'm outside. On the other hand, leaving Luhansk isn't an easy option. Leaving is still possible, but the struggles and the danger that comes with it make it an unattractive solution. I actually researched this question a little bit because, yeah, my family was uh, considering it and I, I hope that uh, in some form as they would be able to. It is extremely dangerous and uh, unstable. I'm not sure whether there are working routes from the occupied territories to the unoccupied during the time when I was researching it. Like there is, was just one place, which is uh, a bridge, which works once a week and no one guarantees your safety over there. And another option, which is quite common, is that people go through Uh, basically travel fr from the occupied territories to the territory of Russia and go to the, some third country, for example, uh, Latvia or Georgia, Lithuania, Estonia, Finland. And from there they move to another country within Europe and only from there they can travel to Ukraine. But of course it's more difficult, more expensive. And also for migrant parents that is extremely difficult because of their age. And this has become the new reality. Did the West ignored all signs and underestimated Putin? We in the West uh, thought that uh, war in our continent will never happen again. We thought all issues could be solved uh, via negotiations. Georgi Gotev is senior editor at Euractiv's Global Europe Policy Hub and the editor-in-chief for Euractiv Bulgaria. And we didn't get the signals from Vladimir Putin right. We almost didn't react uh, when he attacked uh, Georgia in 2008. We reacted mildly when he invaded and annexed Crimea in 2014. We thought diplomatic talks, such as those held under the Normandy format, uh, will... Well, if not solve the problems, at least uh, diffuse uh, tensions. The Normandy format is a diplomatic grouping created in June 2014 with the aim of finding a peaceful resolution to the conflict following Russia's military aggression during that time. And we were wrong. I mean, some countries in the EU, such as Poland and the Baltic uh, states, they were more alert. But France and Germany, uh, they were sleepwalking until Putin invaded Ukraine a year ago. Uh, the EU as a whole wasn't better. Uh, for example, the Commission didn't say anything against the Nord Stream 2 uh, gas pipeline, probably because Germany saw it as uh, its priority. At the same time, uh, Poland was staunchly opposed uh, to the project. We have to admit today that many of us were too naive, uh, that we didn't listen carefully Putin, what he was saying in many speeches over many years. He was saying that Ukraine is an artificial country, that it was entirely created by Russia. Um, he used fake narratives to describe Ukraine's leaders as Nazis and uh, also the Ukrainian government as illegitimate. Uh, So we all awoke in a new reality on 20 February last year. 
a new reality for which we are not ready. And now our new reality includes a year of war. The West is showing solidarity to Ukraine with numerous diplomatic initiatives. U.S. President Biden was in Kiev. Georgi, could you explain to us the significance of Biden's visit to Ukraine and the significance of the West supporting Ukraine? The Ukrainians are very brave and they have a military uh, commander uh, who was clever enough to prepare uh, his country for a war with Russia. But uh, without Western military support, and in particular, uh, little weapons, uh, most of the countries, uh, let's remember, most of the countries were reluctant to send such weapons in the beginning. Uh, But uh, without this support, Ukraine could not uh, stand up uh, to Russia. Uh, And the Western support uh, becomes even more decisive now when the war has become entrenched and uh, each side uh, would like to have the means for a new offensive. Uh, The visit of Biden to Kyiv was highly symbolic uh, to convey the message that the US uh, does not accept uh, as an option uh, the victory of Moscow. But the US is also careful not to escalate the war by giving uh, to Ukraine weapons which uh, could uh, be used deep inside Russian territory. This is why in uh, his speech in Warsaw, uh, Biden enumerated the various uh, categories of uh, weapons the US US is providing. He mentioned tanks, but he didn't mention uh, fighter jets, Mm -hmm. uh, despite Ukraine's uh, request to receive uh, F-16s. It is uh, not clear if the US would support uh, Ukraine in an attempt to liberate Crimea. Uh, such an attempt uh, could be seen by Russia as a casus belli against the West, and um, we should absolutely avoid uh, such casus belli. Uh, there are public uh, speeches we have heard, but uh, there, there are also confidential talks between the leaders, and uh, frankly, I hope uh, that leaders have agreed on the red lines. Otherwise, the world will be a very dangerous place. We also witnessed sanctions this past year. Which pack of sanctions was the most important in your opinion and what other sanctions can we expect? The EU was indeed very productive in agreeing uh, nearly 10 packages of sanctions uh, with the main goal of making it difficult uh, for Russia to pay for its uh, war effort and uh, making it difficult uh, to obtain the key components for uh, producing weapons and ammunitions. I don't think that the goal of the uh, sanctions, uh, the EU sanctions, is to, to punish the Russian population. But probably people in Russia realize that the market they enjoyed before is no longer the same. Uh, you know, if I was to provide the advice to the EU, I would say that uh, we still lack an authority to make sure that sanctions are not uh, circumvented. We hear uh, Russian official speakers who brag that they come around the sanctions. And uh, we have a lot of evidence, including journalistic investigations. We have reported about them. Uh, And those investigations show that uh, we have a problem. Uh, The most important uh, sanctions, in my opinion, are those that uh, you can enforce. 
And uh, I think that before adopting new sanctions, uh, we should make sure that those already adopted are not bypassed. You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast, agri-food podcast, and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at euractiv.com. In December 2021, we formally sent draft treaties and security guarantees to the USA and NATO. But on all our key positions of principle, we received, in fact, a clear refusal. And I would like to stress that even before the start of the special military operation, Kyiv was negotiating with the West on deliveries of air defense system, combat aircraft and other heavy equipment to Ukraine. We also remember the Kyiv's regime's efforts to acquire nuclear weapons, and we talked about this publicly. But one thing should be clear to everyone. The more long-range Western systems arrive in Ukraine, the further we will be forced to push the threat away from our borders. It is only natural. So, Georgi, we're coming to this Tuesday, 21st of February, when Vladimir Putin addressed the nation. He mostly focused on the blame game, mentioning that Russia wanted to solve the Ukrainian question peacefully, and they shared their conditions with the West, and it was the West that chose war. What, what would you say on this? was listening uh, carefully uh, this very long speech uh, and uh, frankly Putin said nothing that uh, he hadn't said uh, before and uh, nothing surprised me. Um, this uh, narrative uh, that it is not uh, Russia who attacked Ukraine but the entire collective West attacked Russia is a lie repeated uh, 100 times a day by the Russian propaganda. Mm-hmm. In uh, Russia few things uh, work well except uh, their propaganda machine. I have to admit that the majority of Russians, especially people with lesser income and less education, believe this propaganda. And some of them actually have no other sources of information. Uh, For them, we are the enemy and they support uh, this war against the Ukrainians. Uh, Although, uh, as as, as a people, Ukrainians are so close to the Russians that it looks like a fratricide war. It is difficult to imagine a bigger tragedy. It is also difficult to imagine how this will end and how the scars uh, of the war will heal. According to Statista and the UN, 7,200 civilians have lost their lives in Ukraine and around 12,000 more have been injured so far. The Ukrainian authorities, however, have refrained from disclosing their wartime losses, but analysts estimate around 100,000 soldiers to have lost their lives. The number of Russian troops killed and wounded in Ukraine is approaching 200,000 soldiers, a stark symbol of how badly Vladimir Putin's invasion has gone, and that is mostly because Moscow has been sending poorly trained recruits, including convicts, to the front lines in eastern Ukraine. A year ago, a decision was made to conduct a special military operation to protect people on our historical lands, to ensure the security of our country and to eliminate the threat posed by the neo-Nazi regime that emerged in Ukraine after the 2014 coup. 
And step by step, carefully and consistently, we will address the challenges we face. Now, a special word to the residents of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, Zaporozhye and Kherson regions. You yourselves, dear friends, you determined your future in referendums and made a firm choice despite the threats and terror of neo-Nazis at a time when hostilities were raging nearby, but there was and is nothing stronger than your determination to be with Russia, with your homeland. Georgi, this rhetoric of Russia wanting to free the Russian territories inside of Ukraine that were controlled by the Nazis was a main topic of Putin's speech before the invasion. Now, this rhetoric has returned once more, with Putin going that far and thanking the regions that decided to reunite with motherland Russia. How would you comment on this? You know, Russia is a country uh, without clear borders. And it's impossible to know what parts of Ukraine Putin's uh, Russia considers as their own. Clearly, uh, this is valid for the regions of Donetsk, Lugansk and Crimea, uh, also for uh, Zaporizhia and Kherson. But who knows uh, where Putin's uh, appetite end. Uh, if Putin was more successful in Ukraine, uh, I'm sure he would certainly invade Moldova. But why would he stop uh, there? Uh, I recently wrote uh, a commentary saying that uh, Putin made a mistake if he had attacked in 2020 when Donald Trump uh, was still president. Maybe he could uh, have achieved uh, his territorial goals. I still wonder why he missed such an opportunity. Why is that? Maybe he was afraid of COVID because at that time COVID came and he started the war immediately after the EU countries lifted uh, their restrictions. We can only speculate. Kirillo, since you are coming from Luhansk, why did you think when Vladimir Putin referred to the referendum thanking the population of these territories? It's funny. I don't know. I'm not sure whether funny is a good word for it because, of course, it's very traumatic and uh, a big tragedy for many people and maybe painful, but it's just funny because of hypocrisy and... Uh, I've heard from some people that even my name was in the list of people who voted. I was not even there. Like It's very clear that this referendum was uh, fake and ju just by looking at numbers uh, of it. You, you know, in, in Ukrainian, we have a very, very famous uh, poem with a line uh, from Lesia Ukrainka, Ukrainian poetress, and one of the lines says like, not to cry, I laughed. Putin also announced that Russia will halt its participation in the New START uh, nuclear arms treaty. What is the importance of this move and what implications it may have for the world? Well, uh, new, new START, uh, the last uh, um, strategic weapons treaty uh, between Russia and the United States, the two, the world's two largest nuclear superpowers, uh, was already. Uh, in jeopardy uh, before the announcement uh, that Russia suspends its uh, participation. Uh, I think uh, this negative uh, development uh, sends a bad signal uh, to other countries with nuclear weapons, uh, and uh, I'm afraid that they will race uh, for the higher number, and that's very bad for the world. 
According to a research from the Kiel Institute for the World uh, Economy, the U.S. has spent $46.6 billion on military assistance to Ukraine, the U.K. $5.1 billion, the EU $3.3 billion, with more countries like Germany, Poland, Canada, the Netherlands, Italy, France and Norway having spent $9.3 billion combined. Now, moving on the EU-US front, what moves can we expect uh, from now on? The EU should not forget uh, that the good relations that exist at present uh, uh, with the United States, uh, despite some tensions on the issue of the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, could uh, change completely uh, if Donald Trump uh, or somebody like him or worse than him is elected uh, Uh, president in uh, November 2024. Uh, That's why the EU must build its capacity to be a strong independent player, no matter who is in power in Washington. And maybe one last comment. How do you see this war ending? I see it as a long war. I see it uh, ending uh, with both sides unhappy. I don't see a future for Putin after the end of this war. Ukrainians are grateful to the West for its solidarity and help during these difficult times and they hope this support continues because to win this war, Ukraine will need more resources. For Kirilo and Yara, the hope to win this war is still alive. In general, I'm an optimistic person, but also very careful and cautious person. Uh, I really hope that uh, Ukraine will win and will be able to free all of its territories. Uh, It's also very important that uh, all who are guilty in this war would be brought to justice. And in in my very personal uh, hopes and dreams about this, I hope that I would be able to easily, you know, take backpack, jump on the train and visit my hometown. Uh, Maybe not even if I would stay there or live there, because as for now, uh, I live in Kyiv and it's fine. But I I really hope that I would have at least opportunity to travel back to my hometown, to Luhansk, and to feel free and safe over there and to see with, with my mom, with my grandparents, without troubles or without such obstacles. Western support is very important to Ukraine and I'm very grateful to to people, to institutions that uh, keep supporting us. Ukraine keeps fighting, Ukraine stands strong and Ukrainians know what they're fighting for exactly. What we need are resources, what we need is support, what we need are weapons. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori and this was Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. This is Euractiv for the latest news and if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Georgi Gotev and Charles Zumski, who was the one who translated Putin's speech for our listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you.